Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are heading into August SummerSlam right around the corner. What is happening in the world of professional wrestling? Oh man, there's a lot. Talk about SummerSlam. Trish and Charlotte. Trish and Charlotte, uh, the SummerSlam pay-per-view happening in Toronto. Charlotte really had nothing going on in the main roster at the moment. They just hadn't established a feud for her. In fact, her and Roman are both kind of in the same boat where they are the top stars in their division, but they've kind of been moved aside lately, whereas Roman has kind of been replaced by Kevin Owens. And Charlotte, on the other hand, has kind of just been moved into nothing. They... Uh, haven't done really anything with her. And on SmackDown, they definitely established that she wants to take on the queen of the past era of women's wrestling. And that would only lead you to believe that it's Trish Stratus because it's Toronto. She can just drive in. And uh, Trish is being promoted to be on SmackDown this coming week. So, yeah, I think that's a great move, especially for Charlotte to get that big win to bring her back up into the title picture is a is a good move because let's face it after WrestleMania I think that Ronda is gone. I think that Becky's stock was really lowered when the, she was in that feud uh with Lacey Evans and paired with Seth. So her stock dropped and then Charlotte had I mean had completely disappeared. Yeah. To their credit, I don't think that having uh, top stars in the division like Charlotte or Roman Reigns on TV as the top guys every single week is a good thing. Um, so I think this is a good match for her just to uh, get a big win and uh, further establish herself as the top star in the women's division. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll be a great match as well as a very significant match moving forward in Charlotte Flair's career. There's a lot of SummerSlam matches coming up that I think are important to the wrestlers that I think will win those. Yeah. And that's Charlotte taking on Trish. I think Charlotte should easily win that. And I think that Kofi defeating Randy Orton gives him a quality win to further establish himself as a credible champion. So and I think Natalia, Nat- here's this, this workhorse behind the scenes of your women's division finally stomping her foot and saying, hey, I'm I'm coming. Don't see Natty winning that match against If Becky. she can pull it off, if she does, I, I'd i like to see it. I actually think Natty's career is kind of on the decline, and this is just sort of a, a final big spot for her in Canada, and that Becky will just defeat her and and move forward but it's nice for them to throw natty this this opportunity and uh headline in her home country yeah at least one last time because i I just don't know how much that they're invested in the character of uh natalia neidhart and i also don't know how much she wants to continue wrestling i'm sure she thinks about starting a family or or possibly just going to the training center. I just kind of, I just, I, I just kind of see her career as winding down. I mean, she's been there over ten years at this point, and the company has just not really done much with her. I think she's a fine wrestler, not that exciting on the microphone. Never really established a a character other than I'm a great wrestler. 
And the character of I'm a great wrestler will get you very far and, and gets you credibility because anytime someone wrestles you and gets a big win, everyone's like, yeah, that's that's legit because you beat, you beat Natty and she's yeah, a great wrestler. That's, yeah, that's a solid. She's sort of in the same role that they've got Samoa Joe in right now where he's a credible opponent to defeat, but he's not going to be the guy for whatever reason. And so... I think this is a nice treat to give to Natalia to face uh, Becky Lynch here at this uh, SummerSlam pay-per-view. What do you think about um, Ember Moon and Bailey? I think this is a, I think this is a big, a big moment for Ember Moon to shine, or either a prove herself, or b, yeah, I'm not in in the major the major picture like a Charlotte and a Bailey and. A Sasha Banks. And all. No, this is a title change I can see happening because Bailey has kind of been stale for a while. And until Sasha returns and we can finally get the conclusion to whatever they were going for, I feel like Bailey, even before that, had been kind of stale. And you need to start elevating other female talent to be not just outside of the four horsewomen and say, okay, these are our four stars. You need to start elevating people up to that level. And I think scoring a win here would be great for Ember Moon. She's a phenomenal athlete in the ring. She, I love her finisher. And Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's badass. It's- so I think this is a, a good opportunity. I hope that they go with her as, as the winner here. And then for Bailey's future, it really depends on the return of Sasha Banks because I think we're all going to be sitting around thinking, when's that going to happen? And if it doesn't happen and it just fades away, then she just becomes someone like in the position of Naomi or someone in the position of Dana Brooke where you have a really solid hand or someone in the position of Natalia where a really solid hand gets you a big win, elevates you to the next level, but is not a top star. So the SummerSlam card to me is actually shaping up pretty well at this point. We'll see how it goes from here. I mean, SummerSlam going to be a seven hour show probably. So, uh, lots of, uh, lots of holes to fill in that, in that card. We also have, in addition to, Charlotte taking on Trish Stratus. So we have a a current roster member taking on a legend. We've also had a heavy tease of Dolph Ziggler either taking on Goldberg or Shawn Michaels because he's brought up Goldberg in his last two promos, but then he attacked Shawn Michaels on SmackDown. And so you have another opportunity here where a legend's going to come in. Now, unfortunately, Dolph Ziggler isn't someone that I would burn a loss from Sean or Goldberg on. But in the case of Goldberg and Shawn Michaels, they both had very poor performances in their last match. Maybe they want one more shot at having a great performance to, to go out on. And uh, this is something they see as an opportunity. Shawn Michaels, by the way, Pulled off a commentary. Yeah, I had to cut that. We we discussed this last week, yeah. but I had to cut the whole thing because turns out they didn't use him on commentary. He was in a segment with The Miz, and he interacted with Dolph Ziggler, and uh, that was what they used Sean for. So don't know what they're doing there. I think it'll be him and Sean. I think that's A, what Dolph really wants. B, they're willing to give it to him as well as Sean. Because Sean, like you said, needs to prove that, hey, yeah, my last one wasn't that great. 
I can I can do better. Yeah, and I think that's fine. It sucks for Dolph, but I've been checked out of Dolph Ziggler for many years now, and so I wouldn't mind a legend coming in and just squashing him. And most people have yeah been checked out on him. But uh, so the SummerSlam 2019 card I think is shaping up to be pretty good so far. Still have no uh, indication of what they're going to do with Roman, which is very strange. And like I was telling you, it, it, right now it's it's really strange on both shows because. And let's face it, this wild card rule has kind of gone out the window. You can just show up wherever. No one's counting. No one cares. And uh, Roman Reigns has really not been the featured player on either show. In fact, Kevin Owens has kind of been the featured player on SmackDown, which is the roster that Roman Reigns is a part of. But Kevin Owens is getting all the shine right now instead of Roman Reigns, so... Still no clear path as to what Roman Reigns is going to be doing, but I'm sure that it's going to be a significant part of the card. The WWE just had their earnings call for the second quarter, which now we're in the third quarter. They usually do these a few weeks after the quarter ends, and so they had their conference call. Uh, Profits, operating income were down, ratings were down. There wasn't a lot of good news on that front, but I think the company is gearing up for October, because that's when they go to Fox, and that's when that's when we really get to see what what what's the future of this company. The one takeaway from the conference call, though, uh, was that Vince is definitely aware of All Elite Wrestling. He didn't mention them by name, but he did mention that, in his opinion, what they do is blood and guts, which tells me that Vince McMahon has watched one match. Uh, Cody and Dustin and feels that that is what they do for all of their shows and if he thinks that that is what they do then WWE is in for a huge wake-up call now I'm not going to say that AEW is going to beat them in the ratings because I think you're looking at about 1 million people watching the debut of AEW on TNT but I do think long term If that is what the guy that's in charge thinks is what's going on in that company, they're in big trouble because it is not about blood and guts. It's not about Attitude Era strippers. It's not about the 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 things that Vince seems to think it is. Uh, It's 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 something totally different, and uh, they're in for a huge wake up call on October second when AEW premieres on TNT. Hype video released this week. Very good. I mentioned to you that I wish that they had used a little bit more than just match footage. And I wish that they had used a little bit more of their branding strategy. I wish they had had a name for the show. They've trademarked Tuesday and Wednesday Night Dynamite, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go with that or if they haven't decided yet because they just TNT and in the video just says wrestling coming to TNT on Wednesdays in October. So I wish that they had had that a bit more put together. But the conference call, um, not not too great. Uh, not too great. House show attendance still down. Live attendance overall still down. They got less than what they expected from their UK TV deal. Uh, the company, still very healthy. Uh, there's nothing to really report there. But... We'll see what happens after October. The company right now is basically in a holding pattern until October when all that money comes in. 
And once that money comes in and the performance on Fox is determined and USA, both of them have massive deals with, with both of those broadcasters. Then we'll actually see whether people flee from the stock or whether the stock continues to grow because if if they go on to Fox and just and hit it out of the park, then there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Another part of Vince, uh, just talking about that they're not going to go back to that gory crap. Yeah, the gory crap, all the blood and guts, yeah. I think that he, like what you said, I think he, he's not expecting that they're coming out swinging. AEW is, is literally coming out swinging, and they're ready to go 12 rounds. If you know, if I can coin the the boxing reference there, they're ready to they're ready to go, and they're not. But I think the problem with Vince though is saying, "Oh, they're doing the gory crap. They're doing the blood and guts." You got to study the product. You have to know your competition, and that is, they have done matches where people have bled, but that is not what it is. This is not ECW from 1997 or 1998. No. This is a a legitimate wrestling company that sometimes people bleed in. Uh, but outside of that, that's the only real connection between that gory crap and stuff. And it just shows me how disconnected he is from the product. He also mentioned that the hiring of Bischoff and Paul Heyman would get him, quote, out of the weeds. But I'm not exactly sure what that means because... Um, based on what I've seen on television between the two shows, it doesn't seem like he it's it's that different. I I think out of the weeds means he's going to start paying a lot more attention to what's going on. Now does does that mean that he's going to do anything about it? Probably not. But the fact that he's opening up and being honest and truthful in the fact that hey. Yeah, maybe I haven't been watching my company as closely as I should have. My bad. I'm going to try to do a better job now. There's some hope to be found in what he said, but at the end of the day, this is a guy in his 70s that's set in his ways, that has made himself into a billionaire, that has made this company. I mean, to me, what I also thought about during that conference call it's honestly crazy that a wrestling company is a publicly traded company on a stock market because you think about other types of events like that, like I hate to always say it, but like the circus or like Harlem Globetrotters, they're not dist- they're not a multi-billion dollar company on the stock market. So whatever strategy he's done, whatever he whatever business model he's followed has clearly worked. Right. Now, will that continue to work indefinitely? We'll have to see, but Vince sees it as something, but I don't think we're going to see any massive changes on screen. Yet. Yet. I say yet because of the fact that I think he's, he's like you said earlier, I think they are going to get a major wake-up call. Yeah, because Vince has been around this business so much, I think he kind of sees this as a WCW kind of threat where had the Time Warner merger and everything not happened and had Ted Turner still been financing the company, they might still be in competition with them today. 
but he saw that he saw the corporate ownership start to crumble away at WCW's long-term future. And unfortunately, since WCW folded in 2001, he's never faced anything like this to where I understand that TNA was on Spike TV. TNA was on Wednesday nights, which so is AEW, but TNA had a very different kind of business model. Not every competition is the same. WCW, TNA, and AEW are are pro wrestling companies, but they are very different in how they operate. I hope that he is prepared for the difference. AEW has learned from the mistakes of those other companies and have built upon it, but I'm going to save my verdict for the whole thing until after AEW is on TV because that's really when we, we can all sit around and actually judge and say, is it is is this something? Because we won't know that until October 2nd because that was the date officially announced, which we had both uh, spoken about in the last couple of podcasts where it was highly... Uh, rumored that that would be the night that AEW took over TNT. They didn't want to do Tuesdays because that's when NBA games happen. They released a hype video. They had TV guide pictures of some of the staff. They had interviews with some of the staff. And so, yeah, that, that date is now official. So up until October, I think it's in Vince's best interest and the WWE's best interest to put the best product they can out there. Start start gaining steam now because if you don't, you're going to be blindsided, I truly believe. Yeah, they've got two hours on TNT from 8 to 10. I think Wednesday's a good night for pro wrestling, especially if, let's say you only take in one company Two hours is much more manageable than all the content that WWE produces. So it's going to be very interesting the first week of October. And then further in on October when they go to Fox to see how how that goes for WWE. So WWE didn't deliver on Raw Reunion in my opinion. Yeah, I think the problem with the Raw Reunion is that it was promoted only eight days in advance. Now, if you go back a year ago to Raw 25, they did a month of build to that. And it was a a shit show. It was a shit show, but it was a rating success. They did over 4 million people that night. Yeah. And compared to a regular Raw broadcast that gets around, at the best, uh, upper twos, maybe three, it definitely shows that if you promote something, if you make it special, if you frame it as being... Special and that Raw 25 show, they also had it in the Manhattan Center. Part of it was advertised in the Manhattan Center, which made you think, Oh, well, this is gonna be just mind blowing. Turns out they they dropped the ball on that. I thought that was one of the worst shows they actually did. I don't think it accomplished much. I thought it was cool to see the Manhattan Center, but they didn't use it, no. they didn't use it that much. And so, on eight days' build. When you're only advertising to your wrestling audience, when you're not running a lot of promos on USA Network and everything else and on on the internet. And I remember with the Raw 25 stuff, I even saw like banner ads and stuff on the internet. I think your expectations had to be kind of limited. And also, a lot of the people that came back were people that we see pretty often. And that includes DX, who were just at the Hall of Fame. 
that includes Tori Wilson, who we just saw at the Hall of Fame. They did give a nod to China through the DX, which I kind of thought was at least cool and finally acknowledging. And honestly, when you when you go up and down the list, just like it is when when they're actually wrestling, you have top guys and then you have filler. And it was really apparent when they were trying to bring back some of the women that wrestled in the mid 2000s that the, the star power is just not there. I know that you are a big fan of Caitlin, but I'm not sure how many people at home say, "Oh my oh my goodness, Caitlin's going to be there." Yeah. I'm tuning in. So you have someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin who everybody knows, who yeah. is one of the biggest stars to ever be on WWE TV. You could have eliminated probably three-fourths of the people you brought back and kept it to Austin, Foley. That's pretty much it of the people that came back. Flair, even though they didn't they, they didn't let Flair talk, and that's that's what he's known for. That is, but in their defense, looking back on it, some of the little videos he's put out recently, he's kind of rambling. I understand that, but he... This guy's a pro. Yes. I mean, this guy's the best talker in the history of the business. If you say, Rick, we want you to go out and do this and keep it focused to this, whatever it is, he can follow orders. It's yeah. not like he, he's not going to go out there and cut a promo on his attorney or his, whoever's shooting YouTube videos for him. You also have Shawn Michaels, who's a big star, but he wasn't utilized that much. Yeah. And then the rest of them... You had guys like Jimmy Hart just show up and didn't say a, didn't say a word. It also really crippled the SummerSlam build for the main roster because at least if you're gonna bring legends in, you should at least have them interact with the current stars in a way to get them over. And the only segment that worked for me on the Raw reunion was the Mick Foley Bray Wyatt segment because it was the passing of the Mandible Claw. It actually got Bray a new move. Both of those guys have similar characters. That worked. The rest of it, like, the final segment of the night was a toast to Raw. If I'm 13 years old and it's 1999, they have a, a toast to Raw at the end of the night, but it's all guys that haven't been there for a while. Like, I don't know, Doink the Clown is going to have a toast to Raw at the end of the night. I don't know what kind of hook that is to stick around. Um, so... I think they need to kind of cool it on bringing back the legends because they just brought them back for SmackDown 1000. I mean, the list goes on and on of how many times these guys are brought back, even on the network specials, table for threes, like you had Hurricane. You had RVD walk out there in his tights. And didn't do a damn thing. Didn't do anything. That, that bothered me was put him in the ring. And the impact was okay with it. As well. Well, it just tells you how far impacts fall into where they're That's just like, true. whatever, go, send them go, in. Go, go work for the competition. Just, we don't care. So I think the on-screen results were not that great, but the ratings results, it was the highest rated Raw of the year. Outside of the night after WrestleMania, I think might have done better, but it... You, you didn't have JR. Well, he said no, yeah. He said no. But you promote Psycho Sid, no Sid. That really was the thing that, that bothered me the most is that I wanted to see Psycho Sid because here's a guy that we we discussed on our last podcast that he's not a guy that appears that much. Yeah. 
let's see what he has to say. Let's see if he can power bomb somebody. Or what shape is he even in? Or let's have him get his ass kicked by a younger talent. Like, let's have these guys serve a purpose. And it would have been great in my eyes. Because, I mean, Sid was a bodyguard for Sean. Ziggler beats the shit out of Sid. Sean comes out, makes a save. Boom. You're Perfect. Set. Rolls right into Tuesday. Rolls right into Tuesday, then turns around and rolls right into SummerSlam. There's a connection of the past there that is leading into your future. One of the most egregious, I think, combinations of the legends and the current stars is the revival came out with Devon Dudley. Now, Devon Dudley is great. But that makes zero fucking sense in the entire world because I know that they had fired Arn Anderson, but he would have been perfect. He would have been perfect in that oh, role. Arn would have been, yeah. Or if if Tully hadn't signed both Arn and Tully involved with AEW, but Tully, somebody from that kind of era, even Flair, if they had used Flair to come out with the revival, old school fists, not flips. Devon Dudley was yeah what they thought of. I thought it was a big waste of the current roster, but for people that like just seeing legends, people that like when you and I walk into Comic Con, we're taking you know we both are taken aback because we see all these legends and stuff. And so for a casual viewer that doesn't watch Raw week to week, and which is why they did such a good number, to just stop in and see those guys was good enough. Do I think they'll be back next week? Not a fucking chance. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I thought it was uh, kind of a disappointment overall. A podcaster I listened to, John Pollock, he brought up the fact that, you know, once these guys aren't aren't around or don't want to show up. You're screwed. Well, yeah, because you think about guys that worked in the mid-2000s. Is anyone going to pop when Chris Masters walks out? Is anyone going to... Actually, the one thing that would work is if Snitsky came out and punted a baby. That would work. Uh, but the rest of that weird early 2000s era of guys that are still around, no one's going to give a shit when they no. come back. And that's kind of what happened with the, the, the female roster, unfortunately, is like, oh, Caitlin's back. Okay. What do you have for me? It, it's just kind of... Melina. Melina, too. It's... You like, had well, you had Candice Michelle win the twenty four seven title. Yeah, Candice Michelle, who did her GoDaddy dance from fifteen years ago. Yeah, um, you had uh, Kelly Kelly win it, right? Ted DiBiase, who you informed me broke a record. At that's Gold. right, twenty six years in between title wins because he won the tag belts in ninety three. So twenty six years. Um, that's a long record. And we also I don't had, think it can be. I don't think it can be surpassed. I think we also had Gerald Briscoe and uh, Pat Patterson also took a twenty four seven title win. Oh man, did they? The, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, you just uh, if you bring legends back, they should they should get the get the new stars over. So yeah, and they didn't do that, and it was a ratings win for them. Uh, so, but they can't go to that well every single week but the the one thing that it tells me though is that you're engaging personalities you're mick foley even though he didn't like doing commentary stone cold steve austin these are guys that are very engaging that bring something to the show i think you should 
empty out the checkbook and try to get these guys involved week to week. But well, I mean, even if it's sitting at the table for SmackDown coming up, that's right. When we go through all these guest commentators for the next month uh, or two, I think, yeah, definitely. I'd love to sit there and hear Steve Austin uh, with no producer in his ear. Just give what give his thoughts, give his thoughts. Yeah, but I don't think I don't see that happening. Be like, oh, damn, he kicked his ass or, you know, something. It just would add to it a lot better than what we're getting. You know what else that really sucked is the changes to the WWE Network. For me personally, I hate them. We can blame Chris Resnick, who I have no idea who this man is, but he was hired in as the new full-time runner of, uh, if that's what you want to call him, a runner, whatever, of the WWE Network. And it's nothing more than a wrestling version of Netflix. And it sucks. It's harder to find stuff, in my opinion. It's built strictly for their content. You have to dig and dig and dig to find anything that is not WWE current. Well, we actually talked about this in January. Uh, the company that originally launched the network was called Bam Tech, and they were the streaming provider of Major League Baseball, and they were purchased by Disney, and their contract was coming to an end, and WWE, Disney apparently raised the price of Bam Tech to be the streaming provider. So the WWE then went with Endeavor Streaming, which Endeavor Streaming does UFC Fight Pass. So they have experience in streaming combat sports. And it hasn't rolled out on every device yet. That's still coming out in the next couple of weeks. It has rolled out on mobile and on desktop PCs. But on my Fire Stick at home, it's still the old BamTech version. Um, some of the improvements they've talked about is the search feature. But they have made some stuff where you're used to looking in certain categories hard to find. Like exactly this week's review. I had to dig and dig took and me dig. a second because it didn't say it's not it was here it is. I'm telling people it's in the collections. I can't find the collections now. I had to dig and dig and dig. Naturally, when you totally redo a streaming service and you there are gonna be kinks to work out when you totally redo a streaming service and and things that we're just used to like i was just used to going to the vault to find episodes of nitro but now they've actually categorized wcw ecw and wwe stuff and then it branches out from there i will say that the search feature has improved because i used to search for like brawl for all and i couldn't find anything it sent me to like Beach Brawl from WCW, and now it seems to be working better. But it's still a work in progress. This is their first edition of this new version. Well, you can type in, or if you're not sure about somebody, you can actually look up the person itself. I think that's a really cool feature where you just select a superstar that you like, and then it just gives you everything that they've ever done. Yeah. Um, but it's still a work in progress. There are some cool things they've done where you can actually switch the language that you're watching it in mid-show. So, like, uh, if you see someone going through the Spanish announce table, you can switch mid-stream 
and go to the Spanish announce commentary where they go crazy when someone's going through their table. And also they're going to start doing some localized content. This was brought in uh, on the conference call that they are going to start localizing content in some way. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure if that means we're actually going to get maybe different, uh, an alternate commentary like Southeast United States commentary or whatever, or maybe you like the UK commentary or whatever, but they're going to start localizing it. The biggest news to come from the conference call regarding the network is the uh, the tiered system, which we've talked about here for a couple of years. I'm surprised that it's taken them this long to get to it because Netflix, the price of Netflix has continued to go up. Now, I bought a new TV fairly recently, and to get 4K Netflix, it now cost me $15 a month. And so I thought the network was definitely going to have already raised the price by now. But now we're going to get a, a tiered system where we have a free tier, which uh, a lot of people on Twitter have been speculating what that includes. And what I imagine it includes is sort of a randomized feed of old pay-per-views. Kind of how they did the, uh, do you remember WWE 24-7 back on with Comcast that we used to watch a long time ago? where they picked what they were going to put on that month, and that was just what you had to choose from. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be something like that without the even the choice of yeah, what you, you want to watch. You won't really have a choice, right. There's going to be commercials uh, inserted into that, and then I've heard rumors of a four ninety nine tier where you get the big four pay-per-views, but none of the B shows. You get commercials. You can watch NXT on tape delay. And uh, you get access to archive content, but the commercials is there, and that's the four ninety nine tier. The nine ninety nine tier that we're all used to will pretty much stay the same, except they are gonna start adding some commercials. And then for a fourteen ninety nine tier, there's gonna be no commercials, and you can watch some independent wrestling content, which I pretty much believe will just be evolve. But that's coming down the road. They were very vague about all the details on the conference call, but the future of the network is definitely changing. Some of the changes are for the better. I'm not a big fan of the current user interface. When I was, uh, just like I said, when I was trying to pull up this pay-per-view, it took me a few seconds and I was, I was on the verge of calling you and saying, I, I don't know where this is. That was me too. When I was looking it up, I think the improved search feature, which I mentioned to you when I searched for brawl for all on the old platform, it would give me like beach brawl, it would give me all this random stuff. Or when I search for my favorite match of all time, which is uh, the skins match between Tank Abbott and Big Al, I couldn't find it. They've improved the search function, but it's still a work in progress. This is uh, version one of the new era, so it's fine. It's it's fine so far. I think it's laid out a little a little wonky. It's going to take some getting used to, but yeah, I think it's actually going to improve over the old system. I think it'll be easier to get stuff on quicker because I was so used to going to the vault to find stuff, and I think it'll be easier to get to quicker. Uh, not too excited. I don't think I'll be upgrading to the premium tier. Uh, $9.99 is sort of my sticking point. That's your go-to. Yeah, and um, the WWE Network is undergoing an evolution, so uh, that is happening this it's week. It, so... Well, the sun is kind of starting to get a little bit brighter for the WWE Network, you say, but 
for some WWE people, the sun is setting. And uh, one of them being Jimmy Uso, as he was yet arrested once again with a DUI. Very bad timing on Jimmy Uso's part, because on Raw, John Cena ran down the Usos about being arrested so much. And uh, then, wouldn't you know it, uh, later this week on Thursday, he got arrested again for a DUI. And the WWE released the same statement they released with Jeff Hardy, which is, Jimmy Uso's responsible for his own actions, but I think when you're talking about DUI and not public intoxication, when you're behind the wheels of a vehicle and you could possibly kill somebody... That's uh, more serious. It is serious, and considering this isn't his first offense, considering that he's a repeat offender, uh, and this company is so... They're so politically correct, and they're so oh, we gotta we gotta fight cancer, we gotta fight uh, breast cancer, childhood cancer, we gotta fight being a bully, we gotta do all this other stuff. I think that it sends the wrong message when you say, oh, well, he's responsible for his own actions, but he can drive drunk. Again, here we are in this era where they have competition coming up uh, in October. You also have a performer who is related to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which I don't think is the reason they're not punishing him, but it's it's a fact that he is preferred. I mean, that 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 family is preferred. They get they get preferential treatment um in the company. The uh Anawahi family gets preferential treatment in this company. I'm not necessarily saying you need to fire the guy. But I think you need to set him aside. He's not a champion at the moment. He doesn't have a real major storyline going on. You need to get this guy help. And then if he messes it up after that, it's time to cut bait. And if AEW was to hire him, well, that looks bad on them. It looks bad on anybody to hire him. Because I just think sometimes the best thing for people is to hit rock bottom. If you don't face any consequences in your actions, like if I was to get a DUI for any of my employees, I probably would face termination or some sort of uh, reprimand. And so I, I just think that you need to address this in a way other than saying, oh, Jimmy's responsible for his own actions and he'll figure it out. It's a bad look for the company considering not only... Did they make light of this on Monday with John Cena making a joke about it? And they, they've done this before when they had a table for three and Jeff Hardy was there and they make a joke about it there. But at the end of Raw was a toast to Raw where everyone had a beer bash. Not every case of drinking leads you to drinking and driving, but I just think it's, it's, it, it sends the wrong message and it's probably time to get this guy help. It's probably time to focus on him instead of just saying... We'll see on Raw, so... Um. I agree. I truly agree. I think that there is some some situations going on personally with him that he needs, he needs help dealing with as well as help with his, uh, his addiction to alcohol because that's it. At this point in time, I believe that that's what it is. Uh, just my opinion. Allowing him to continue is almost saying we condone this kind of behavior 
And well, like I said, this isn't his first offense. It's a repeat offender. It's it's a cycle of behavior. And I think that needs to be addressed. I know he's an independent contractor or whatever, but sometimes you got you got to sit guys aside. And I do think if this was a few years ago when there wasn't competition that they considered legit, he would have been let go. They probably definitely would have cut him and his brother by proxy because I don't see either of them being promoted as single stars, especially when you have Roman Reigns as a single star. So you can't have Jey Uso doing the same gimmick as Roman Reigns, sort of. You know what I'm saying? I I just think it's, it's something that needs to be addressed before someone gets hurt or someone gets killed or someone gets severely injured Sort of like the Eddie Guerrero situation in WCW, where New Year's Eve, he totaled his car, he barely survived that, and a few months later, they brought him back to the company like nothing happened instead of getting him help, and I'm not saying that led to his untimely passing, but I just think you need to you need to sit people down and address, especially your company has 215 contracted wrestlers. It's not like, oh, we take Jimmy Uso out. We're screwed because we don't have anybody else that can do the job. So uh, the guy needs help. Another person struggling is Finn Balor. He ended up missing SmackDownville, I guess was what it was called, or SmackVille or whatever. Oh, yeah. So they had a, a United States title. Up, uh, SmackVille, I think is what it was, was in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it was just like what we were talking about a week ago or even before that where... Take a house show. Take a house show and put a camera there. And he didn't go to it. And that's probably because he is about to go on vacation. And he said, fuck it. And uh, did not go to the house show. Well, he had a he had a United States title match with Nakamura plan. It was told to me that there was an injury to his shoulder. Now, I don't know how serious that is. I'm sure that he's worn down. Um he is going to work SummerSlam against Bray Wyatt, not as the Demon, so we don't have to worry about the Demon streak being broken. He is going to work Bray Wyatt at SummerSlam, and then he's going to go on his hiatus. He's just broken down. As far as a week-to-week performer, since his injury at SummerSlam a few years ago... Which happened to be his shoulder. Yeah. He has pretty much been there every single week. Now, they've had nothing for him. They've had no character development. He rarely cuts a promo and when he does it doesn't connect and i think it's just he's just burnt out and he needs uh some time away from the business so i think he's a little pissed too that he hasn't been put with aj and the club because i think that would have helped him but i think that his world would have been so much different if he didn't get injured in that SummerSlam match because i agree uh after that they is just mid card for life. I don't know what it is about getting injured in this company, but if you get injured, uh, you're pretty much just going to be stuck in the mid card unless you are one of their priorities overall, like Seth Rollins and the knee injury. He came back and was, it wasn't like he missed a beat at all. But if you're someone like Finn Balor, who they're not sure of, and they're going to take a risk and give you a belt. Oh, he got in. Oh, he got injured. He's injury prone mid card. So this is a, this is a really good time for him to take off. He'll probably be back in time for mania season. 
he can probably have a blow-off match with uh, Bray Wyatt and he can have Demon versus Fiend, and that can be a major event at WrestleMania. So it's probably a good time for him to step away. They had nothing for him. He lost his Intercontinental title pretty sadly. Uh, he didn't have a very good run. He hasn't had a very good run since he's, he's been back from injury. So I think it's a good time to step away. Sometimes, just like in the case of Bray Wyatt, sometimes stepping away can be the best thing that happens to you. And they can actually come up with something new for you. So no big deal for him missing that show. But it is a, an interesting idea that they're starting to show some of these house shows on the network. And I hope it's something that they continue and actually work into canon. And then these house show attendance numbers can actually go up. So Wrestling Circus. Do you know Wrestling Circus? Wrestling Circus canceled a big event in Texas. They had uh, like Tessa Blanchard booked. They had Brian Pillman Jr. booked. And they canceled it at the very last minute, which uh, a lot of the wrestlers that were on it were kind of concerned that people had actually flown in for it and stuff. But I don't think a Wrestling Circus event is going to draw people traveling to it. I think it's shitty for the promoters to do that. And some of the wrestlers even were tweeting about how they had not had any contact with the promoter after the initial ask and I'm sure discussion about how much they would cost. And But this event was still promoted and tickets were sold. And uh, that's it's a really bad thing to do to promote an event and then not deliver. Running an independent wrestling show is very expensive. And you never know what you're going to get. And it's it's just pricey. It, it, it's just pricey. It, it, you have to be very selective about how many events you run. And uh, in the case of something like uh, an MLW, you need a TV deal. You, you really need that TV money to come in from somewhere. You need that money to come in from somewhere because simply paying the the talent and bringing in the money from the gate that's just not a viable business uh to run really unless you're running a ten dollar show in an old grocery store you can keep that going for as long as you want to but if you want to bring in top talent and do everything else that's a really really tough thing to tackle i mean that's why restaurants fail a lot of the times mom and pop restaurants because there's just so much overhead and you're not turning enough profit because the wrestlers are selling their own merch so you're not selling any merch you provide them with their hotel you provide them with their rental car or their car to the their transport it's a tough thing to do and i'm not going to say that wrestling circus won't ever be back but um for right now it's just not a viable option for them the consumer's dollar is just uh very tough to get a hold of is uh, there's so many options out there for you that you might want to just hold off and uh pay to go to the next thing that comes along so I, I i hate that for anybody that bought a ticket that or that did travel there i don't think there was many but it really sucks it, it sucks anytime a uh wrestling promoter and uh promotion goes out of business so yeah but it's the reality of the business this is not you don't get into promoting wrestling events to get rich i mean that's just 
the the truth of it. You you just cannot you cannot get rich from being an, an independent wrestling promoter. It's something done out of love. Impact Wrestling is moving to Axis TV. Now is that replacing New Japan or is that No, it's adding on. Well, Axis is uh yeah, that's the home of, it's the home of wrestling all of a sudden. Yeah, it's got three wrestling programs on it. It's unfortunate cuz I can't get the channel. So, uh one day I hope to be able to watch the channel, especially with uh the New Japan content they're doing. They're they're putting it up quicker. They're turning it around quicker. Yeah. So, some of the G1 and stuff is airing live. Not live, but like the next day or a week after. So they're 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 doing a really good job of turning that around, but um don't know that it really means much for Impact. That they, they, they've got a lot of work to do um outside of their TV deal. Well, it was your pick this week. It was. We went back all the way to 1986 before I was even born. I'd be born in September of 86. We reviewed a Great American Bash, but not a pay-per-view because Great American Bash was a tour. It was an event series. So uh, Jim Crockett Promotions took Great American Bash on the road. That's right. Uh, They had had several pay-per-view caliber shows around the country. In 1986, there were 13 Great American Bashes. And NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defended the title at every single one of them. He defended against Ricky Morton, Road Warrior Hawk, Ron Garvin, Nikita Koloff, Robert Gibson, Road Warrior Animal, Magnum TA, Wahoo McDaniel. Koloff and Magnum TA were involved in a best of seven series. So that was for the U.S. title. And the cities featured in 86... In July 1st, they were in Philly. July 3rd, they were in Washington. July 4th, in Memphis. July 5th, in Charlotte. July 8th, in Charleston. July 9th, in Cincinnati. July 10th, in Roanoke. July 12th, in Jacksonville. July 18th, in Richmond. July 21st, in Fayetteville. July 23rd, in Johnson City. July 25th, in Norfolk, Virginia. July 26th, in Greensboro, which is the one that we're reviewing. And then they finally wrapped it up August 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia. In this month, July 2019, the July 5th and July 26th editions were uploaded as hidden gems on the WWE Network. And so we reviewed the July 26th edition from Greensboro, North Carolina at the Greensboro Coliseum. Horseman Country. Uh, What was very strange about this card is that it's not meant for TV, so there's no announcers. No. No. And uh, it was kind of interesting. It, it was kind of peaceful because you heard the, the rope snapping. You heard the jawing between the competitors. It was kind of a different experience to watch because we never get silent shows You hear the ring without it being mic'd. And you could just, you heard the fans too, the, just the, even the hush of them or whether you get a one little guy to yell something out it was it was it was a different change and i thought it was really cool up first we have mr electricity steve regal who is not william regal steve regal this is steve regal from the awa yes so uh when i first saw him i was like that does not look like steve regal and what's weird is when you click on the wikipedia page 
on his match, it takes you to William Regal. And I was like, no fucking way that's the same guy. No way in hell. He's going to take on Jake the Snake Roberts' brother, Sam Houston, with a very young Earl Hebner as the referee. Oh, Earl's going to get a lot of work tonight. He does. Houston takes Steve down with strikes and a scoop slam. Sam slaps on a side headlock for a while, but Steve powers out. We get a vertical suplex to Sam Houston for a two count. Sam gets put in a chin lock for a while, but powers out and vertical suplex is regal. Houston goes for a bulldog, but Steve counters and gets a dirty pin with the help from the ropes and gets the win. And so there you go. Steve Regal gets the big win. Sam Houston then goes to the ref, Earl Hebner, and says, Hey, man, I want the match restarted. And then Regal and Houston start brawling, and I thought the match was restarted. But Regal then just walks away. So no restarting the match here. Uh, Steve Regal from the AWA gets a big win over Sam Houston. I think in a different era, Sam Houston could have been a big star. Oh, man. If it was now with the build and the look he has, if it was, if he was in today's time, Sam Houston would have been great. He would have been in that 205 class, but he's the guy that, he's the small guy that doesn't fly. He's the guy that he, he slows down. He's your size, but he can slow you down. And so he would have been a great fit, I truly believe, in today's era. Yeah, he was a very talented guy, but yeah, when he came to the WWF, just too small, just in the in the world of giants, just not going to make it. Yeah. Up next, tag team match with Paul Jones, Barbarian, and Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion Black Bart. Ugh. No chaw tonight, so good for Black Bart. <laughs> They're taking on the Italian Stallion and junior heavyweight champion, Denny Brown. Bart and Brown start. Brown takes Bart down with the head scissors. Brown scoop slams him. The Stallion and Brown take turns working over Bart. Barbarian finally gets the hot tag. He press slams Brown, hits a backbreaker. Bart tags in, takes over on Brown. Bart hits three running leg drops to Brown, but doesn't even cover him. So what was the point of that? Bart decides to climb to the second rope. That's a bad idea. He misses a splash. The Italian Stallion gets the hot tag, drop kicks the heels, but then runs into a suplex from Bart, who tags in Barbarian, who lands a diving headbutt. One, two, three. Match is over. The Barbarian looked massive in this match. Oh, yes. Compared to the other guys, you could tell this guy was going to get a WWF contract. He looked massive. <laughs> the biggest guy on this card, though, is Nikita Koloff. And it is crazy to me that Vince... He's shorter than me. That's what's even... I know he's short, but dude, he is fucking he jacked. Is, yeah. As a kid watching him, I think even because you were at the show as well. You watch him on TV, and you're growing up watching him. You're like, dude, this guy's got to be six, seven, six, eight, even six, nine. Like he's just big. You know, he's buff. He's big. To believe that he's only six foot tall, and I'm six three, and to finally meet him in person was like, what the fuck? I mean, now don't get me wrong. He's a great, great guy. And oh yeah, the best thing he ever did was get out of the business. Absolutely. He wouldn't be alive if he didn't get out of the business. Absolutely. 
Uh, so yeah, Barbarian with a uh, flying headbutt gets the win. It was a fine match. That's really going to be my opinion on most of these matches. Is just they they were what they were. They were very the finishes of all these matches sort of just came out of nowhere. Yeah, this wasn't a roll up, so I'll, I'll at least give it that that it had like a, a definitive finishing move. But uh, you could tell Barbarian was uh, destined for greater things in a different company. Oh man. Your, your next matchup, Varen Von Raschke takes on the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez in a coal miner's glove on a pole match. Yes, but unlike some on a pole matches, getting the glove off the pole doesn't win the match. No. You can still just pin. You don't even have to go for the glove if you want to. Uh, Yeah, Baron Von Raschke, who... Still gets a huge pop anytime he's featured on WWE TV. The claw, man. The claw is one of the most over moves. It's so simple. It doesn't hurt anybody. No one's going to get brain damage from it. But it's all about how the person sells it and how it's sold. Just him doing that motion, just putting one arm on the other, yeah, instantly gets a reaction. I mean, the Von Erics, I mean, everybody, everybody that uses the claw... That's it's it's just an amazing move. Yes, it's really it's it's even better than like the mandible claw because I think it's even less painful than that. It's it's all about illusion, and I, I that's what I love about the claw in general is because I can do something that gets the same reaction as if I power bombed you through a table because right. people buy it that much. So it's Baron Von Rasky. He's going to take on the Flying Burrito, Manny Fernandez. He goes for the glove, but Fernandez rips him down. Fernandez takes him down with a reverse elbow, goes for the glove, but Rasky stops him. Baron's manager gets a cheap shot on Manny. Fernandez then slams Von Rasky off the glove pole. A Flying Burrito puts Von Rasky down for a two count. Rasky then puts the claw on Fernandez, which causes him to bleed the first of many instances where people just bleed. <laughs> Everybody on this show did color. Doesn't matter if they needed to or not. From they this just, moment forward. They yeah. Fernandez hulks up but can't escape the claw. The ref doesn't count Fernandez's shoulders down despite them being on the mat. So the ref fucked up here. But when he finally does, he only gets a two count. Baron Von Rasky finally gives up the claw and gets that precious loaded glove. But it doesn't fucking matter. Because Fernandez hits a crossbody one, two, three, and wins the match. But the heels get all their heat back as Rasky and his manager just put the boots to Manny Fernandez. So you instantly forgot who won this match because Baron Von Rasky just beat the shit out of this guy. Oh, well, yeah. And I mean, Paul Jones is just getting warmed up for his match later. Up next, Indian strap match, a four corner style strap match, which I hate. God, I hate these <laughs> matches so much. Why? This one wasn't that bad. It's the way the WWE does them. Okay. It's where I tie you up to my back and carry you to the posts. I hit a post, then turn my back, and then you hit the post. <laughs> and that somehow cancels out what I did. Yeah. I hate that shit. It's not like with the cowbell in the middle, like that Starcade match we yeah. watched where you just beat the fuck out of each other with the strap. No, it's like, it's just a race to the buckles. Jimmy Garvin is out with Precious. He's taking on Wahoo McDaniel. Precious requests that nobody smoke while Jimmy is wrestling. 
which I don't know what this meant. I, I guess smoking was available in arenas in 1986. Well, I'm assuming so. She and didn't want anyone very, to. She she didn't want it to mess with his his natural breathing ha- habits. You know, his natural breathing habits are very important. She didn't want it to mess with that. Precious helps Garvin take off his rip-away pants so he can fight in his trunks. Wahoo jumps Garvin before the bell and whips Precious with the uh, rope. They finally strap up. Wahoo then whips Garvin, who doesn't have an answer for it. Jimmy fights back, whips Wahoo into the post. They battle near the guardrail. Garvin starts going to the buckles. He gets to three before Wahoo stops, and Wahoo drives the bell into Garvin's face. Which causes him, of course, to blade. And Wahoo is also bleeding for some reason, of which I don't understand. Wahoo goes for the buckles, but Precious trips him. Garvin goes for a top turnbuckle move, but Wahoo rips him down by the strap. Wahoo goes for the buckles again, and Precious tries to stop him, but he no-sells her attacks and hits the fourth buckle and wins the match. Didn't matter that she interfered. They brawl after the bell, and Garvin eventually splits the scene after looking like an absolute fucking fool because he lost the match and really didn't get his comeuppance here on Not at all. on Wahoo. Up next, my match of the night, the tape fist match. Oh, rugged Ronnie Garvin taking on Tully Blanchard. And they announced it. I swear they said three rounds, but I think they went four. They didn't need to go four. They didn't need to go one. This- no. Because this match is brutal to watch. Oh, yeah. Hands, I mean, his name is Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin. So he's going to take on heavyweight, national heavyweight champion, Tully Blanchard. Hands of Stone just lays him out before the bell even rings. He still is wearing his belt yeah, and Tully, his robe. Tully can't get his robe or his belt off. <laughs> With one minute in the first round, I'd say this was a 10-8 round as Garvin was just destroying Tully. Tully barely stood up here as he was just getting his ass handed to him. Tully got busted open, of course, from this beating. Tully's selling, though, of this beating was phenomenal, though. He he milked it for everything. He would stumble over. He was swinging for the fences. So he good on Tully. He swung at Earl a couple of times. The second round starts. Garvin just continues the fucking beating. Garvin low blows him at the end of the second round. In the third, Tully pulls Garvin into the post and puts the boots to him. Then Tully takes control and dominates the third round. Tully comes off the second rope with a clubbing fist and both men go down. Garvin throws him out of the ring where Wahoo Atomic drops him. Then Tully goes back in the ring, continues to get his ass kicked. J.J. Dillon throws freedom power in Wahoo's face and then slips some knucks to Tully who had been down. Much longer than a 10-second count, so he should have lost the match already. But Tully puts the knucks on, decks him, decks rugged Ronnie Garvin, and wins the match. Even though the announcers don't know who won the fucking match and have to correct themselves because they... If you went to the scorecards, Ronnie Garvin won this match by leaps and bounds. So the announcer wasn't in on the finish and said, Oh, Ronnie Garvin won. Oh, wait, correction, no, he fucking lost. So there you go. Uh, just a complete... I've never seen someone get, get their ass beat the so much. The only offense was him hitting him with that. Yeah, the nux or whatever it was. Yeah, just that, that was it. That was his only offense. 
I haven't seen a beatdown like this since like <laughs> Lesnar and Cena a few years ago. But even that, Cena got a few moves in. Yeah, I mean, dude, Tully didn't. The first round, y'all, he didn't even get his belt off. He didn't get his Robur's belt off. Through the whole first three-minute round, Ronnie was whooping his ass. So this is definitely a must-watch. It's hilarious and very well. I've never seen such a one-sided fight that ends with the guy winning that never did anything. It's pretty impressive. It is. It is. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Andersons, Uh are out next. Ole and Arn. Yeah, they're taking on the Rock and Roll Express. Gibson will start against Ole. They tussle over a collar-elbow tie-up, and then Arn tags in. The crowd chants for Rock and Roll. Gibson takes the Andersons down with drop kicks, and Morton comes in to give him a hand. So the heels have to regroup. Arn wants Morton to tag in, and he does. Morton DDTs Arn for a big pop. Lots of stalling from Ricky Morton. Then eventually Morton tags in Gibson, who hits a leg drop over the ropes to Arn. Then he drags Arn to their corner, and they focus on the legs. So they are actually, the Rock and Roll Express is actually wrestling like the Andersons. Because they were keeping the Andersons in their corner, so and focusing on body parts. So like tags in and out. Yeah. Whole, I mean, everything. Ole comes into the ring, but is kept out of the way by Morton. Morton and Arn end up as legal men, and Morton keeps Arn in a leg lock for a while before fighting out and bringing Ole into the match. Gibson tags in. The Rock and Roll Express wishbone Ole's legs, and Gibson focuses in on it. Gibson puts Arn in a figure four. Morton puts Ole in a figure four. The Andersons both escape, and Arn and Ole double-team Gibson in their corner. Gibson rolls into a tag from Morton, who starts to run wild, but is cut off by Ole. Morton gets tossed outside by Ole, and then choked with a camera cable, like a, an actual like photo camera cable. It was really weird. Ole then hits a knee attack from the turnbuckle and stomps Morton down. Morton almost breaks away from Ole and gets a hot tag, but Arn steps in and tags in. With one minute remaining in the match, Arn gets crotched on the middle turnbuckle while he was looking to splash Morton. Gibson and Ole get hot tags, and Gibson cleans house. Gibson puts a sleeper on Arn, and ding, 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 the match ends in a time limit draw. And the way the match was going when they kept saying 10 minutes remaining, 5 minutes remaining, I just thought that's the way this is going to (laughs) go. Um, so nothing was settled here. Thought that the Rock and Roll Express looked good. I actually thought the Andersons didn't look all that great. Um, this was Ole's first match back after his injury. I only know that because I have been keeping up with watching the um, watching the old WCW episodes from this time and it just worked in its favor that we picked this pay-per-view when i was actually watching the build-up to this pay-per-view in my own spare time so that was it this is legitimately his first match back after being injured and so i not too bad coming out of the gate for being out of the ring for a year but still gibson brings in a chair to clear out the uh, wrecking crew the crowd is chanting bald-headed geek next. As led by Jimmy Valiant, it's a hair versus hair match. Paul Jones is taking on none other than the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant. Which in a previous Great American Bash, Jimmy Valiant won a match against Pez Watley. So Pez Watley had had his head shaved. So that, that, that comes into play towards the end of the match. 
Paul Jones is going to take on Jimmy Valiant, hair versus hair. Jones wastes no time just beating down Valiant. Jones hits Valiant with a foreign object, and now he's busted open. Everybody did color. There's, I mean, if you didn't do color, you were the Legion of Doom, and that's about it. Jones goes for the foreign object again, but Valiant stops it and uses it on Jones. Jones put the glove on from earlier in the night. Oh, call back to an earlier match. That's something that should happen more. It should. If something happens in a match earlier, some kind of weapon, it should be brought back later. So Valiant stops it and uses it on Jones. Jones puts the glove on from earlier in the night, but not before Valiant decks him with the object. Pez Watley then appears, hits Valiant with a chair. Pez Watley from Chattanooga, Tennessee, by the way. He is. Pez Watley hits Valiant with a chair and rolls Jones over and gets the win over Jimmy Valiant. And, oh, no, Jimmy Valiant's beautiful golden locks are done. They are going to get cut off. And for all of wrestling history, nothing is more over than a hair versus hair match. That's true. And when Baron Corbin a couple years ago showed up with a shaved head, they really missed an opportunity because people fucking love this. Yes. I don't know what it is about it because... Think, getting, of, think of Edge as Judgment Day, I believe. Edge and Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle getting his head shaved. Or WrestleMania with Molly Holly getting her head shaved. They just they buy into it. Vince McMahon getting his, sh- his head shaved at WrestleMania. It's strange because only in pro wrestling do we sit there and be like, oh no, he's getting his hair cut. <laughs> it's not like haircutting hurts, you know, or anything like that. It's it's just one of those things that always works. Weddings and haircuts always work in pro wrestling. They do. I don't know why. All the faces come out and try to talk Jimmy out of not doing the haircutting spot, but he's like, no, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to do it. And then his selling of the haircut is phenomenal. I mean, it is because that's what makes the haircutting segment. If I just sat there and was like, okay, you're shaving my head. Like, Molly Holly did a good job with selling her haircut, but it wasn't like over dramatic. But Jimmy Valiant here, it looked like he was having his leg cut off. Yeah. Like this was the most devastating thing that could happen to him. Joneson calls Valiant a bald headed geek. Oh, see, so he turned it against him. And then all the heels leave. Up next, Ivan and Nikita Koloff, Ivan being in Nikita's corner. And like I said, Nikita is fucking jacked. This dude, and like I said, him getting out of wrestling is the reason he's alive. Because had he continued to put on this kind of mass and kept going... His body broke down so much worse than it already has. Yeah, like, he made a wise choice uh, getting out of the business when he did. Nikita is facing Magnum TA. This is their best of seven series. A running forearm from Magnum sends Nikita to the outside to regroup. Nikita gets in the ring and throws Magnum throat first into the ropes. Nikita stays in control for a while. Magnum gets USA chance, even though Nikita's American also. And he hulks up out of a chin lock. Nikita rams Magnum's head into a buckle on the apron, and he's busted open from it. When he gets back into the ring, Nikita lands a belly to back for a near fall. Nikita puts him in a chin lock, and Magnum's face is just covered in blood. This dude was just pissing blood out of his head again. He hulks up again and sends Nikita into the buckles. Nikita lands a backbreaker. 
for a two, followed by a scoop slam for another two. Nikita just tosses Magnum out of the ring over and over again. Magnum just keeps getting back. He comes in, and then this is where the ref fucks this up, Patrick, because Magnum comes in, hits a sunset flip. Nikita's got his hand on the ropes, and you fucking referees kicked his hand away. You influenced the end of the match. And so one, two, three in the sunset flip, Magnum TA, despite getting his ass kicked the entire time, wins the match. You guys should not do that shit. Sorry. There's nothing illegal about holding the ropes to try to, to brace yourself from a it is. sunset flip. You can't have a man on the ropes. You can't be touching the ropes. You can't you can just be thrown into them and bounce right off. That is it. Everything else is illegal. You can't do it. No, just a, a terrible showing for Magnum TA, who has had great matches before, but he just got his ass kicked the entire time and then just got the fluke win. And that's that's my problem with most of the matches tonight, is just someone gets their ass kicked, gets a fluke win, yeah. and leaves. Why not have just a dominant win? Yeah. But again... This is to set up rematches. So well, this is the best of seven, and I believe this is what number five or number four. This might be number six. Seven would be the August one. I think is the last one. So Steel Cage is set up. Midnight Express and Dennis Condry and beautiful Bobby Eaton are out with James E. Cornette. They're facing the Legion of Doom with Paul Ellering, who's on the outside. And of course, when you think of Legion of Doom, who do you think is their third partner? Baby Doll is their third partner. Cornette wants to fight Baby Doll first. Baby Doll swings at Cornette, then arm drags Bobby Eaton, and then she's pretty much done until the end of the match. Condry can't do much about Hawk because Hawk doesn't sell anything. Bobby doesn't have much luck either against Legion of Doom, so Bobby wants to tag Cornette in to take on Baby Doll. Cornette thinks about leaving, but uh, in the end, Bobby stays in the match against Animal, so... That didn't happen. Cornette thinks about engaging Legion of Doom after Condry scoop slams Animal, but he retreats to his corner. Hawk comes in, no-sells punches from Bobby, who quickly tags Condry in. The heels isolate Animal in their corner. Bobby climbs to the top of the cage for a knee drop to Animal that gets no reaction because Bobby's a heel. Had he been a face, this would have been the biggest spot of the night, but he's a heel, so fuck him. <laughs> Bobby tries another move off the cage, but Animal counters and Hawk power slams him and drop kicks Bobby. Then Baby Doll slams Cornette off the cage, gives him a big right hook. One, two, three. Match is over. Both Bobby and Condry did color in this match for no reason. The whole purpose of this match was for Cornette to get his comeuppance against Baby Doll. And I think everything that happened before that was just forgettable. Like, why not just get to it? Like, why not have a couple minutes each with LOD and Midnight Express, but then ultimately turn it over to Cornette and Baby Doll because that's what it was. That's what it was all about. Main event time. Uh-oh. Dusty Rhodes is already in the cage awaiting the Nature Boy. Dusty and Flair each do their struts. Dusty starts in with his juking and jiving punches, which causes Flair to regroup in the corner. Dusty works a lot of rest holds in the beginning. He hip tosses Flair, chops him down. Flair yells at Dusty, Hey, come over here, damn it, as he hides in the corner. Dusty press slams him. 
And Flair locks in a sleeper, but he gets to the ropes. Elbow drop from Dusty gets a two count. Flair throws Dusty face first in a steel cage. Then he hits signature knee drops for a two count. He grabs Dusty's face on the steel and grinds it. And now Dusty is bleeding. Rick softens up Dusty's leg with a knee drop and stomps. Then he puts Dusty in the figure four. Dusty rolls over, but Flair finds the ropes. There's rope breaks in the cage match. Dusty lands a leaping clothesline to Flair, tries a cover, but Flair gets on the floor. Dusty tries a leaping clothesline to Flair and then gets a cover, but Flair gets a foot on the ropes. Chop battle. Flair tries to escape over the cage, but Dusty stops him. Dusty throws Flair to the cage and grinds his face in it, so now Flair is bleeding too. Flair once again tries to leave, but Dusty stops him by grabbing his tights, showing his ass to the crowd, ramming his head against the top of the cage. Flair tries to move off the turnbuckle, but guess what? Dusty slams him off and puts him in the figure four. Dusty then sends Flair to the corner, chops him several times, tries a neck breaker, but Dusty reverses it into a backslide. Flair hits a sloppy-looking crossbody for a near fall. Flair then tries a scoop slam, but Dusty inside cradles him. One, two, three, out of nowhere, Dusty Rhodes is a new world champion to a huge reaction, which the crowd had been dead for this entire match. But as soon as that three count hit, they fucking went nuts. And uh, all the faces come out and celebrate with Dusty, and Flair just walks out like this, a loser. This would be the American Dream's last title win. And unfortunately, Dusty would drop the title back to Flair at a house show on August 9th. So, uh, also, significant point as well. This is the very first title exchange of Big Goldie. It was Dusty's first NWA title win since 1982. So, it had been four years. And even then, he won it as the Midnight Stranger. So, not even Dusty Rhodes. A beautiful scene at the end of the match when Dusty had all the faces come out and celebrate him. Oh, man, him. He's, got, he's got, even in the ring, um, they had music traveling with them as well. So he's got country singer David Allen Coe. He's got Waylon Jennings in there. He's got all the faces in there. Bill After's in there with his camera taking pictures. The video, um, the cameraman's in there getting close-up pictures it just it is it is the scene that is used millions of times to show how great dusty rose truly is oh yeah even when dusty passed away a few years ago i remember this scene being in the tribute video and everything so i'm glad i got to finally see it because i had never seen it before uh the cage match I mean, it was a Ric Flair match. I yeah, mean, it wasn't their best, but, I mean... Ric Flair's most natural adversary, the son of a plumber, yeah, the working man. The show overall, I can't rate it on the same scale as like a pay-per-view because this was a house show. It wasn't really meant to be uh, put out there, but for a house, this was a, an amazing house show. I think a lot of uh, good stuff came of it. I wish so many people didn't blade for no reason, but... That was the style of NWA. That is, was. Uh, that was NWA. They wanted to have a more realistic approach to pro wrestling other than the cartoon uh, stuff that you're getting from WWF, so I understand it. Uh, overall, the show was uh, really easy to watch. There's no promos. There's no filler. There's no weird stuff going on. You got so. just matches. 
just matches. Yeah, no, and no commentary, which I thought was really a, a unique experience to watch because you could hear the uh, cables, not ropes, because they use cables in NWA, but the snap of them and stuff. I thought that was really cool. You even heard some of the uh, jawing with the competitors. I think the main event is really worth going back and checking out. But the rest of it, I could probably skip. Well, I mean, Jimmy Valiant getting his head shaved. Yes, if you want to see a man so upset over uh, a haircut, uh, this is a good this is a good example of how to sell a haircut. Ronnie Garvin and Tully. Ronnie. Yeah, if you want to see someone get their ass totally handed to them and still win the match, this is it. On a rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where would you rate this one? Oh, Gonzalez all the way. Wow, that's top tier. I watched this in one sitting and loved every minute of it. I'm going to give it a Magnum TA. It was uh, pretty good. I actually do like some of the backstage stuff and promos, and that's that's missing from it. I actually do enjoy that there's no commentary and, and no filler, but... Uh, I think sometimes a good promo, even if one of them had grabbed the mic and said something, I think that would have really helped it out for me. Uh, But a good show overall. Glad that they added it to the network. So this week is my pick for... It is. So SummerSlam's around the corner, so I decided to pick the the most famous SummerSlam of all time. Not 2002, but 1992. The British Bulldogs' finest match even though he had been smoking crack the week before. Turns out it was a really awesome match. Brett versus British Bulldog in the United Kingdom. An amazing show. One of the the most beautiful looking shows from the outdoor arena and stuff. So we will do SummerSlam 92. Wembley Stadium in the UK. That's right. Wembley Stadium next week right here on the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Go to powerslam.tv. Use the promo code Retro Wrestling and get one month for free. And that'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango.